Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. we are reminded of the care and preparation of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. was not only particular about his ibadah and the way time was spent in the month of Ramadan. The Prophet of Allah also began increasing in ibadah in the months that led to Ramadan. It is known that the Prophet of Allah would begin to say as Rajab would enter, Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Shaaban wa balighna Ramadan. O Allah, give barakah in Rajab and Shaaban and allow us to reach the month of Ramadan. Think of Rajab and Shaaban as the warm-up before the game actually starts. If you have a big soccer game or a big basketball game, if you're playing a cricket match, kind of some football, maybe if you're into wrestling, before you start your art, you spend a little time warming up, stretching, getting yourself in shape. So when it is time to perform, you aren't held back by small little pulls here or there, or you're not gutted or out of gas, winded too quickly, you prepare for it. So when it's time, you're able to give it your best and give it 100%. One thing that you must remember is that barakah in time is a gift from Allah. There are some places and certain times that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his infinite wisdom has put specialness in it. That there is a place, that place holds more barakah than other places. Being in that place puts you in a mubarak, blessed state. Being there, your du'as are accepted. Being there, your good deeds are multiplied. An easy example of this would be the Masajid. Rasul alayhi salatu said, 
The most beloved of places to Allah are the Masajid. And just as there are places that are Mubarak, that are blessed, there is the opposite too. There are other places that are void of Barakah because of the sin that occurs there, because of the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is regular and frequent there. So Rasul alayhi salatu wasalam then says in the next part of the narration, The most detested and disliked places to Allah are the markets. People are cheating there, they're lying, they're taking false oaths, people are greedy there. It's common for the dhikr of Allah to be neglected for people to skip their salah for a small, petty, worldly gain. Another example of a place that is Mubarak would be the, the Haram. The Prophet tells us that praying salah in the Haram multiplies the reward of Musaddi by many folds. Ibn Abbas, he also um, placed the Qiyas of the opposite. That just as good deeds are multiplied in the haram, he would argue that sins are also multiplied in the haram because of the uh, gratitude and the greatness of the city and how the sin also multiplies. So there are certain places that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put barakah in. There are those places that innately have barakah. Before even one such that was performed there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed barakah there. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed barakah in Makkah Mukarramah before anything. It was already a Mubarak place. The city of Medina Munawwara was already Mubarak, was already blessed before even the arrival of Rasulullah this was a special place. Allah had reserved the sanctity of this place knowing that when the Prophet of Allah would arrive, the barakah would only increase. And then there are those places that gain their barakah because people do good in them. A person has a room in their home that they dedicated just for ibadah, that becomes a mubarak place. A person does i'tikaf, their female sister does i'tikaf in that part of her home. Now that area in her home is a mubarak special place. Then, just as makan, space, carries barakah, the same applies to zaman, time as well. There are certain times that are mubarak. The Prophet ﷺ tells us of these times. We have, obviously, the uh, five daily prayers. These are all mubarak times. The tahajjud time is a special and mubarak time. The Tahajjud time, and then after that we have the Jum'ah, which is Mubarak. We have the month of Ramadan, which is Mubarak. When a person does good deeds in these special times, the reward, the reward is multiplied. Now, a person that's, you know, a smart business person will know that when you have a window of opportunity, you maximize your gains. You go all in, because this is that opportunity. When markets go down and people are losing money, there are some people that are smart and they know how to optimize and increase their wealth in that very same time. Because they see an opportunity, right? They see there's something there that they can do that people are in need of and they can open up an industry or open up a service that will allow people um, to, to benefit and at the same time, they will benefit too. 
So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us an opportunity to snooze on that opportunity would be a great loss on our part. Therefore, the Prophet said, Woe be to the one who found the month of Ramadan and still exited it without being forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the mercy was just pouring down. The rains were there, they were just pouring, and everyone that was standing, anyone that was trying, was being soaked in that mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only way you did not benefit from that mercy of Allah is because you stood outside with an umbrella on your head. You didn't have to even bring the water onto you. You didn't have to go somewhere special. The rain will fall on you. That's the specialness of the month of Allah. But you need to remove those umbrellas. You need to get rid of whatever is preventing you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. There is a riwayah regarding the 15th of Sha'ban where the Prophet of Allah said that Allah forgives so many people, so many people on this night, except for certain people. And then the people Rasulullah listed are people who have committed major sins, and those sins of theirs are blocking that rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So today, as we begin our preparation for Ramadan, we need to remove these mawana. We need to get rid of the things that are blocking us of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Then and only then can our preparation actually start. The Prophet tells us of the virtue and the greatness of the heart of one who is able to forgive others and let go. The riwayah of Anas bin Malik is very well known. Where the Prophet said to him, Oh, my dear son, if you have the ability every night before you go to sleep, purify your heart from any ill feelings towards another. For that is my sunnah, and whoever follows my sunnah will be with me in paradise. Rasulullah is teaching him how to prepare his heart. Forgive other people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, it is a practice of Muslims across the world that before we go on Hajj, we call our family members, we call our friends, and we seek their forgiveness. Why? Because there is a strong possibility with the treacherous nature of the journey of Hajj, the far distant traveling, and all the complications within that journey that I may never return. So before I possibly embark on a journey that I may not return from, let me settle my affairs in this dunya. And then secondly, I'm going to seek the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to have my du'as accepted. I'm traveling all the way to Makkah Mukarramah with the hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears my whisper. And how can that happen when I am at crossroads with my fellow brothers and relatives in my own community? Therefore, we need to settle our affairs. For us to grow in our hukuk, in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our ta'aluk with Allah, we need to also settle our ta'aluk with the ibad, our relationship with fellow human beings. So now it's time for us to revisit that. We need to ask ourselves, what is a barrier? What is stopping us from our growth? Who are these people? What are these relationships that are holding me back? Because you have to bear in mind when a human being 
is in disagreement with another human being and it's of a more severe nature, it has a, an impact, it plays a toll on you altogether. When you're in disagreement with another person, if you have hatred towards another human being, if you are in an argument with someone and it's very intense, you have hard feelings against someone, that person has hard feelings against you, it plays a toll on your emotion, on your psyche. You lose sleep, you can't focus, and we all know this. For those of you that have a stressful relationship with a coworker, with a friend at school, with a relative, maybe someone from the masjid, you know very well that it bothers you. And you misdirect that frustration towards other people who have done nothing wrong to you at all. That's because we as human beings, we desire purity, we desire calm, we desire peace. Now we can just leave things status quo and hope and hope that they all just figure out. Or what we can do is we can go and fix it. It takes courage. It takes hard work. But that courage and hard work to send that email to settle a matter, to maybe apologize, to maybe tell the person that you did me wrong, but I'm going to let it go because I'm looking for something greater. On one side, by settling our affairs, we are opening the path between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees how much we sacrifice to come to Him. This person didn't just show up. This person had sleepless nights. This person right here put aside their own ego and they settled a matter with one of my servants so they can seek my mercy. Allah says, So forgive one another. Overlook one another. Why? Do you not want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you? The Prophet Rasulullah said, those that are compassionate, the merciful will show mercy to them. Be merciful to those on the earth, and the one in the heavens will be merciful to you. The Prophet said, The one that does not show mercy will not be shown mercy. The reality is that our Disagreements are such that if we try to find justice in this world, we probably won't. Because every disagreement has a perspective, and every person believes in their perspective. I borrowed $5 from this person, my perspective is that he forgave me. He says, I didn't forgive you. Now we can sit here, he said, she said, go back and forth and hold it against one another forever, and let this be a barrier, or one of us can call quits that we have to move forward, we have to find meaning in life. Our entire relationship can't boil down to these five dollars. These five dollars can't steal my peace of heart away from me. These five dollars aren't worth changing who I am as an individual. Am I allowing this small little amount to change the track of my life because of a quarrel that I had 10 years ago? There's a hadith in which the Prophet said, I guarantee a house in the center of Jannah, for the one that is in an argument and is right, yet they walk away from it. Not the one who's wrong. That person is, he's right. He's not the wrong one. The other guy is the wrong one. He knows objectively that I am right in this moment, but he walks away. Because it's not easy to do that. 
We all know that when you're right, you are ready to take a sledgehammer and beat that person again and again, so they will bleed out of their mouth and say that I apologize and you were right. It satisfies our ego. It makes us feel good. We want the person to know, we want the world to know our dominance, that I was right and you were wrong. All for the small, petty ego of the human being, we are so quick to break the heart of another inside. We are okay with another human being being in tears. Rasulullah was very quick to forgive. And the riwayat mentions, the narrations mention that the Prophet never sought revenge on behalf of himself. However, if there was a violation to the rights of Allah, then there was no one more firm than him. Then Nabi became firm because you violated the right of Allah and justice must be served. But when it came to the person, the individual, Rasulullah didn't allow things to escalate. He would quickly forgive. One of my uh, favorite narrations, and I say favorite because it shows us the forbearance, the patience of Nabi specifically with his family members, at a time that any human being would have lost it. One day the Prophet was with one of his wives, and another one of his wives set food over. So the wife whose house he was at was so offended that one of his other wives sent food while he was with her that she took the container and she smashed it. I ask you this question. If any other person was standing right there and someone from your family member, not only did they reject the food, but they smashed it. Possibly food all over the place, possibly shards of the utensil lying on the ground. What would you have done? Easily burst it. Because clearly someone lost control of their temperament. And there was harm done. There was a waste that occurred. Rasulullah did not say anything. And if you ask me, Nabi didn't say anything in that moment because the wrong was very clear. And the Prophet Allah realized that in this moment it was more of an emotional thing than an intellectual thing. And there is nothing that can be said to someone that is angry and good come out of it. So the Prophet settled the rest of the matter himself. This is how we deal with people around us. This is the gentleness and kindness we should have with the Ummah Rasulullah. As Ramadan comes, Go around seeking forgiveness from others. Just as there are people who have hurt us and their pains is still with us years later, we may have done the same to those around us. Those that are closest to us, starting with your own parents, your children, your siblings, friends, roommates, classmates, people that you work with, Think of people that are in your circle, in your life, those that are a part of your ecosystem. Reach out to them and settle your affairs. For the truth is that if we were to leave this world without our, our affairs settled, not only did those quarrels cap our potential of spiritual growth while we were alive, but in the hereafter they will be a burden for us too. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked the companions, do you know who is a Muflis? Do you know who is a Muflis? Muflis, 
can be translated in English as someone who's bankrupt, had a lot of money and now has none. So the companions gave their opinion that matched the definition. To that, Rasulullah said, No, the Muflis is one who comes on the Day of Judgment with so many good deeds. All that fasting of Ramadan, all those qiyams of Ramadan, all that tilawa, all the giving food to this person, sending a thought to that person, and cleaning the masjid, and managing the affairs of the masjid, all these great things. But when they come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the congregation they were managing now has a claim against that person that this person was not gentle. The people of, that you're working with all have claims against you that this person was not kind. This person broke my heart. Family members are holding claims against you that this was the person that always shouted and broke our heart. This person was abusive and they were foul. So now what happens is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow these people to come and take from that person's deeds. And a person that started with a mountain of good deeds is now left with a pile of burden left behind by other people because there were no good deeds left to take from this person. This is a bankrupt person who started off on a solid positive and now at the end of the day is at a very bad, strong negative. Settle your affairs while you are in the dunya. Settle your matters. Have these conversations. Let those tears flow. And yes, it's true that not all relationships can be fully repaired. Some relationships are deep and the pain is real. We're not saying that we have to bring those relationships back to perfection, but find some amicable middle ground where both parties are at least on salam terms with one another. At least you've said your part. Now the other person may say, no, I don't accept your apology. That's between them and their own. You should do your best to win their apology if you've wronged someone. If you've taken their money, give it back. If you said something, apologize to them. Make dua on their behalf. Give salah on their behalf. Maybe reach out to them later that when I was young, I bullied you. I said something to you. And try again and try again. If they say no, at least on the Day of Judgment, you can say to Allah, Ya Allah, I tried my best. So this is the idea. This, this right here is muhasabat al-nafs. Where you're holding yourself accountable in relationship to the second part of preparing for Ramadan, which is another aspect of muhasaba, but this is not muhasaba uh, from the perspective of other human beings, but it's about where you are in your spirituality right now. Where are you? Where are you with your father? Where are you with your dignity? Where are you with your regularity in the masjid? Where are you today when it comes to your recitation of the Qur'an and your daily dua? Understanding where your weaknesses are and where shaitan manipulates you most. At what time of the day do I find myself being most vulnerable to shaitan? When do I find myself at my peak and my strength spiritually. Most people find themselves vulnerable in the evening hours. That's when shaitan comes to them and makes them waste time and do haram and look at haram and party haram and all sorts of haram lines up. Hold yourself accountable to that. Try to fix that problem. How can I get shaitan out of my life? Shaitan is very tricky. In Ramadan, shaitan will be locked away, but the na'ib, 
the deputy of shaitan, the nafs, will be in full swing. Think of the relationship between the nafs and shaitan as like shaitan pushing the boulder up the hill throughout the year, and then right when Ramadan comes, he just tips it a little forward and walks away. Now what's happening is it's the human being that's causing destruction against himself because the nafs has been trained in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence the Prophet making his dua, Allahumma barik lana fi rajab wa sha'ban, that if we start dealing with the effects of shaitan earlier, when Ramadan comes, we'll be in a better place. Start removing that haram. When we were young, our father, he used to pull the TV plug out in Ramadan and throw a sheet over it. I think the sheet was more of a symbol, like it's gone in niqab, or it's maybe this is the shroud of the TV. Forget about it, don't even look at it, imagine it doesn't exist. It was hard. The first few days were hard, no TV at all. But the cool thing was one week later you found so much more time in life. Any of you here um, avoid TV altogether? Some of you guys? You'll notice if you avoid TV altogether, life is just so much peaceful. You're able to stimulate and engage yourself in other ways. It's not that people who don't watch TV don't waste time. We waste time too, but other ways. Maybe in ways that are a little less harmful, less harmful and a little more intentional and controlled. So I might read a book instead, but I'm intentional when I'm reading. And there is less harm and more benefit there. I do realize that some books could be boring, so I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about that. A little bit more control of what you're doing. And as your time opens up, now you need to make a decision, what are you going to do with that time? Opening up time is a good thing. But if you don't fill that time in with good habits, more bad habits will, be, will replace those things. Because the nafs has an inclination towards things that are tempting. So you have to fill it right away with good time, good things. What are, what are good habits that I can build? So a lot of reflection before the month of Ramadan starts, asking yourself where you are today. As a part of that reflection, one thing that may occur is that you may feel a little intimidated by Ramadan. Anyone here feel intimidated as Ramadan approaches? Like everyone's saying, oh, Ramadan's coming, and they're smiling, and they're excited, oh, I'm excited, I'm excited. And you're kind of freaking out, like, oh, gosh. It's kind of like that dude who's going on a roller coaster for the first time. Everyone's all geeked out, and they're all nerfed and ready to go for it. And you're just doing the most sincere thing you've done in your life. I had a relative who said to me that the most sincere dua I made was the first time I sat on a roller coaster. I read my shahada and I did a lot of dua. I said, subhanAllah, wow, man. That's interesting because there was a lot of fear and vulnerability. When human beings' securities are stripped away, we come to terms with how weak and vulnerable we actually are. There's an incident regarding Hajjaj bin Yusuf, who was a very twisted man. <clears throat> Once he was doing the Wafa of the Kaaba, 
when he was doing tawaf, there was a blind, blind man standing at the Kaaba making dua, and he was making dua very loud. Hajjaj bin Yusuf was a stern person, a lot of anger. He was someone that was responsible for the death of no less than 60,000 people. And among those people were Sahaba. He was responsible for the death of Sahaba, this guy. So he was doing tawaf and he saw this guy doing dua aloud. So he told his soldiers, go and bring this guy here. So he said to that guy, look, I was doing tawaf and your dua was disturbing. I don't like you. What are you doing dua for anyway? So the blind guy said that I was doing dua for my eyesight to return. He said, how long have you been doing the dua? He said, for a long time. So he said, you know what? If your eyesight doesn't return by the time I finish my tawaf, I'm just going to execute you. I came from far to the tawaf, and you're disturbing me. And he said, you have to land on the tawaf. And he continued. It's a really weird ego trip. He continued his tawaf. At the end of his tawaf, right when his final moments came, this guy was about to become Zabiha. He um, started crying and he finished his dua as the soldiers were coming to arrest him. And he said, Amin, and I said, return at that exact moment. So Hajjah bin Yusuf, like I said, he was a crooked person. He then said to this person, I wasn't going to execute you, I was teaching you how to make dua. <laughs> and the moral of the story is, that when you're terrified and you make the comes from the heart. <laughs> when Hajjah Lisa was dying, someone said to him, the last person he killed in his life was the prominent Mufassir of the Quran, Sa'id bin Jubair. He was the last one that he killed. He killed so many people. And when he killed Sa'id bin Jubair, Sayyid bin Jubair passed away reading ayat of the Quran. It's a fascinating story. He had him arrested. Sayyid bin Jubair was brought to the court of Hajjad bin Yusuf. Even the soldier, the shurti, the police officer that came to arrest him, he said to Sayyid bin Jubair, I don't want to arrest you. You are a mufassid. You're our teacher. Everyone learns from your hadith in the masjid. How about you run away? And I'll say you got away. I can't bear to see you be brought to Hajjaj's court. Hajjaj will humiliate you, and no one wants that. I don't want that, Sheikh. Please go. So Sayyid bin Jubair said, You and I both know that if you go back empty handed, you will be killed. I don't want that. I'm going to go myself. So he approached Hajjaj bin Yusuf. Hajjaj was sitting in his, on his throne with all his goons by his side. So, in order to humiliate Sayyid bin Jubair, even though he knew who this person was, he was the most prominent Mufassir of the era. He asked him, Masmuk Ya Rajul, that's your name. So he said to him, And Sa'id ibn Jubayr, I am Sa'id, the son of Jubayr. So Hajjaj in that moment thought it was funny to make fun of his name, like he's like in second grade or something. And he said, Bal anta ibn Qusayr. Kind of flipped the words around. Sa'id ibn Jubayr was fearless. 
tears. With a straight face, he looked right back at Hajjaj, eyes locked, and said, I am as my mother named me. I stand here as Sayyid bin Jubayr. Everyone in the court kind of lost their breath. Oh my God, this guy's just signed his death warrant. He's going to die. Talking to Hajjaj like this? I mean, Hajjaj fired a catapult at the Kaaba. So this guy, like, who is this guy? He's going to kill him. People are sweating. So he said to him, what are your thoughts about the Khalifa? Sayyid bin Jubayr in that moment said, Who Allah him? He is an oppressor. Now everyone's sinking deeper into their chairs. This is not going to end well. Ma ra'yukani, what about me? And ta'adhlamin. If he's bad, you're a crook. So Hajjad bin Yusuf commanded his soldiers to take a hold of Sayyid bin Jubayr and execute him. So as they were walking towards him, he knew that these were the final moments of his life. So he turned his face towards the Qibla and he fulfilled the last task of his life. He began to read ayat al Quran. He turned his face to the Qibla and he recited, Inni I turned to the one who created the heavens and the earth. Hajjaj didn't like that he read the verse because he felt like he went up to him. Very petty guy. So he said to his soldiers, move his face from the Qibla before you kill him. So they moved his face from the Qibla. He then recited, فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ You turn me wherever you want, you can't turn me away from Allah. So he said, put him to the ground. They picked him up and they slammed him. Tarak on the ground. He then recited, مِنْهَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ وَفِيهَا نُعِذُكُمْ وَمِنْهَا نُخْرِجُكُمْ we're all going to come back from the same soil, then we'll stand in front of Allah and settle the rest of this. So at that point, he commanded the Jalad to behead him, and he was then beheaded. So the historians, they say the last person Hajjaj bin Yusuf um, beheaded in his life was Sayyid bin Jubair. After him, he didn't kill anyone. That was the end. It was a result of Sayyid bin Jubair's dua against him. Soon after, he became ill when he was on his deathbed. Someone came to Hajjad and said, buddy, you're in a lot of trouble. If you're about to die, you're going to stand in front of Allah, and you're going to be in trouble. I just want you to know that. So Hajjad bin Yusuf, interesting person, like I said. His response was that if my affairs was to you guys, then yes, I will be doomed. But if my affairs are in the hands of Allah, then he is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim and he passed away. Sweet, nice sentiment. But you don't get to say that kind of stuff after you kill Sahaba. That's delusional. You don't murder innocent people and on your dying, on your deathbed say that Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Allah, Al-Fur, Ar-Rahim, Yo, Assalamu Alaikum, and just die. Expect some different, uh, you made the bed, now you have to lie. So making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's what we were saying. Making a lot of dua to Allah from the bottom of your heart for that rectification, for that hope. As Ramadan comes, you raise your hands and you ask Allah, Oh Allah, put barakah in what lies ahead of us so we can be the best version of ourselves. 
There are those of us who are excited about Ramadan, and then there are others that are just terrified. We're scared of Ramadan. Partially because Ramadan is tough, less sleep. Some of us are terrified by fasting, but what if I fail? Some people are terrified by the migraines that come in the first days of fasting, and the stomach aches, and then all the exhaustion and dehydration that comes in those first days of Ramadan. Some people are sad because in Ramadan they won't be able to go to the gym, grow up. I won't be able to play basketball, Sheikh. Can I still not fast? You crazy? Why would you not fast? It's an honor to fast. Your basketball can continue at night or outside of Ramadan. In Ramadan, your focus should be Ashraf Focus needs to be defeating the nafs. Focus needs to be taking control of yourself, learning to silence out the extra noise in your life. That's what the purpose of Ramadan is. Ramadan is about controlling the nafs. The main act of fasting, the main act of Ramadan is fasting, and fasting is al-imsan, it's withholding from your temptations. Yes, there is a fasting, and we'll talk more about this in our next class, inshallah, when we talk about fasting, but your, the main fast is actually from temptation. Now, we have a legal definition of fasting, but you're learning to control and deal with your nafs. So there's this fear that as Ramadan is coming, what am I going to do? How will I handle it? How will I hack it? Another fear that some people have is that I've been doing Ramadan to the best of my ability every year, and then less than 15 days later, I'm back to being my old self without any change at all. So what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of doing this? That's an interesting logic Shaitan throws at us. Obviously, it's clearly rational. But it's nonetheless a logic that people have. Now what's the point going to Hajj when if I come back from Hajj I'm going to be the old version of myself? What's the point memorizing the Qur'an? Well, if I memorize the Qur'an, after that I might forget it and I'll be held accountable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I had a conversation with a person this last week. This this last week. There was a brother who was visiting our community and I was talking to him and he said to me, I will never have my child memorize the Qur'an. Wow. Okay, <laughs> out of confidence. Why? He himself is half of the Quran, by the way, which makes it more interesting. Because he had, he was projecting his individual reality on his child. After memorizing the Quran, he didn't preserve it. So his first question to me that night was, "Will Allah hold me accountable for not preserving the Quran?" And my answer to him could have gone around the bush and made something up. I honestly told him yes. You are accountable. You memorize the Quran. No one's saying that you have to lead all 20 rakat taraweeh with zero mistakes and have zero mistakes in your entire memorization. But you need to have some ta'alluq with the Quran. You can't just forget it. That you haven't read the Quran in 15 years and you're saying, Am I accountable with Allah? The answer is yes, you are accountable. So then that person said, Well, I'm not going to have my child memorize the Quran. I said, Why? There was no arrogance here, there was no stubbornness. It was just an honest conversation. I'm worried that what if he makes the same mistake I do? So then I told this person, this is a waswasa of shaitan. You don't step away from good deeds out of fear of not being able to follow through. Do the good deed. You don't know which deed of yours will be the changing point in your life. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, as a wise person once said. <laughs> You miss 100% of the shots, you don't take. 
You gotta take the shot. You gotta try again. You don't know which salah will be your last salah. You don't know which sajda will be your last sajda. Yes, you didn't do it right, but maybe your not doing it right will cause you to be even more careful with your own child. Isn't that what happens usually? If someone doesn't do something right, then they are extra careful with their own children. Let's make sure they did it. I didn't memorize the Quran when I was young. I wanted to, but I'm going to help my child. I'm going to help them reach success in the dunya that I wasn't able to reach. So with that fear that, oh, last year I messed up, what's the point doing it again? First of all, inshallah, change will come when Allah has decreed for it. But secondly, why miss out on the barakah of Ramadan and make it 12 years of Hafada when you can have 12 months of Hafada? forgetfulness when you can have, in the worst case scenario, 11 months of Ghafra and one month of Dikr. Just because you can't have it all doesn't mean you should you should leave all of it. There's a maxim in the Arabic language, that if you can't do something in completion, it doesn't mean you shouldn't even try. Do some of it. If there's a buffet in front of you of all these different foods, if you can't eat all of it, that doesn't mean you don't eat any of it. Eat as much as you can. Eat, eat what's in your nasib. Tomorrow will you have this food? No, but today you have it. Someone says, I'm not going to eat today because tomorrow I'm not going to have it. What kind of nonsense is that? Focus on today. Today you have this here. It's in front of you. The opportunity is here. Give it your absolute best. Take account of yourself. Where am I spiritually today? And where can I grow? And the last thing that I wanted to um, discuss for today's session, and then we'll continue next Tuesday, inshallah. Start working on your intentions. And build two things here. Work on your intentions and increase your ambition for the Akhirah. Your ambitions and intentions in reality are the fuel that are going to jet you forward. You have to have a lot of ambition. You've got to believe. Believe that Jannah is yours. And you're not settling for any Jannah. You want the best Jannah. You're not just any believer, inshallah, can be the best believer. You will be a great source of khayr in the dunya, and great reward is waiting for you in the hereafter. The ambition of the human being can change everything. One person with ambition can turn a whole country upside down because they believe it. But then once you have that ambition, you need sincerity too to make sure your ambition isn't misguided by wrong intentions. That I'm doing this, I have this high ambition to be a physician. Why? To prove my dad wrong. Well, that took a left turn. Could have said I wanted to be a physician for a hundred other reasons. To prove your dad wrong? To prove your friend wrong? There was a guy who I knew, great human being. I mean, as a human being, phenomenal person. He accomplished a particular goal in his life that took him um, maybe seven, eight years to accomplish. So I'm sitting with him and I was talking and saying, MashaAllah, that's great. You did really good. I'm happy for you, man. It's, it's awesome. So he said, you know why I did all of this? I said, why? He said, because when I was a teenager, someone said I couldn't. I said, really? <laughs> like, that's what? That's what motivated you for eight years? You weren't proud of yourself or didn't have ambitions for your own family, your children, your parents, humanity, for the sake of Allah, for Jannah, for people around you. This whole thing is a response. Like, I'm happy it got you this far, but that's the wrong fuel. 
stuff. That's not how you, that's not what you burn this engine with. You can burn, you can feed this engine whatever you want to. The truth is, you can have the most horrible intentions in the world. Someone dedicates their life to science so they can build a new, a new humanity. That's what motivates them to become a recipient of the Nobel Prize. A great accomplishment, horrible intentions. I hope you never pass or achieve your dream. You have to give it the right fuel. And that fuel is for the love of Allah. I have ambitions of myself at this Ramadan. I'm going to do great things. I'm going to pray all my khali prayer, all 20 of my khali. And I know it's going to be tiring, but I'm okay with that. Why? I want this Ramadan to be the Ramadan that I please Allah. I'm going to fast all 30 days. Shaitan's going to say, don't fast on the weekends, or don't fast on the weekdays, or don't fast when you go to school or go to work. You don't have to fast. You actually do. But <laughs> Shaitan's going to say that kind of stuff. You don't have to fast. And you know, there are people that are worse than you out there. And... No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to set a high bar for myself. This is the Ramadan that I'm going to push myself. Go to a new place. And then when we talk about fasting, we'll speak of this more. But one thing that I encourage each of you to consider this Ramadan as a part of your fast is to fast from all social media. Fast from it all. Ramadan is a time to cut off from WhatsApp. It's a time to cut off from Instagram, TikTok. I don't know if people are still using Snapchat or not. If you are, stop right away. <laughs> if you're still using Facebook, Twitter, these things just cut away from them. There was one young man who came to me recently, and he said that I stopped using social media altogether. He asked me what my thoughts were. Teenager, Sheikh, should I use WhatsApp? Should I, not WhatsApp, should I use social media? I said, no, don't do it, get rid of all of it. Specifically, since you desire to study the deen in the near future, you should stop it. So all of his friends said, man, you're hardcore. That's too extreme, there's no need to go that, that far. It's not that serious. Like you find other ways to engage with human beings in life. And then as for you know interacting with people, you find alternative ways of interacting. You just can't be a big social media bubble that can be popped at any time and no longer exist anymore. So create ambition. What are you looking to accomplish? One thing great to do in this regard is to read regarding the laws of the righteous of the past of the righteous. And how did they spend their Ramadan? It'll give you ambition and motivation of what to do. And then the last thing, with ambition we talked about sincerity. Do it for the sake of Ramadan. I'm doing this because I want this Ramadan to be the Ramadan that I change fundamentally. I want to be closer to Allah. I want to find meaning in my sajda and my tilawah. I want these good deeds to be a testimony for me on the day of judgment. I want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be happy. So that when he sees me on the day of judgment, with the big mountain of sins that will be surrounding me, there will be a few good deeds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be happy with it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. And allow us to prepare for the month of Allah and utilize this month and be from those that are forgiven this Ramadan. That we come out of this Ramadan as changed people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to our hearts the sweetness of Iman. That are, we are able to see something and feel something and become something that we had no idea 
you could even be. Because the heart is in the hands of Allah, He can change us in any direction that He wishes. Now, Allah, we ask you to take us by our forelock and bring us to your submission. Allow your love to exist in our heart and every action of ours, every deed of ours, to be motivated by your love. Now, Allah, keep us in the company of the righteous, keep us attached to the Masajid, and allow us to benefit from the ibadah in a way that you will be pleased and happy. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.